I'm so glad to be here tonight. And if you don't mind, I'd like to just preach to you. And uh, I thank the Lord because if you could only see where He brought me from and where I am right now, you would know why. I might seem to be extreme or radical. Or, uh, you know, I just call it Pentecost. But anyway, it, he, he brought me a mighty long way. Amen. He brought me a mighty long way. If you have a Bible tonight, turn with us to the book of 2 Kings chapter number 13. Chapter number 13. Number 13. I'm going to endeavor to marry some words together with the title of this message. And I pray uh, that for my, uh, uh, my ignorance of, of uh, being able to have skills of grammar, <laughs> that you'll forgive me if these words don't marry to you. But this is what the Lord has given me. Second Kings chapter number 13 and verse number 14. If you're there, would you say amen? Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou have consumed them. He said, Take the arrows, and he took them, and he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground, and he smote thrice, and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him, said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Syria, till thou hadst consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria, but thrice. And Elisha died, and they buried him, and the bands of the Moabites invaded the land of the coming in of the year. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that, behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher and of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Would you help me pray this evening? Father, we thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you for the power of your love. We thank you, Lord Jesus, because we know that you are here with us. We thank you for your anointing, Lord, and we bless your name. We glorify you, for we know that you will reveal yourself to someone here tonight through the preaching of your gospel. I pray, Lord, that in that you would save, you would heal, you would deliver. You would baptize believers in the Holy Ghost and Lord Jesus Christ that you and you alone would be exalted above every measure of everything in this world. I praise you and thank you, Lord, as you move in the altar service tonight and you touch us by the Holy Ghost. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. As I said, I'd like to marry these words together for a text and a title. And it would simply be reviving the virtue of the anointing, reviving the virtue of the anointing. Now, years ago, uh, when there would be evangelists that were, as we say in our modern time, very busy, uh, scheduled up, you could say, booked up. I'm talking about men of God like Dwight Moody. I'm talking about men of God like uh, Tozer. I'm talking about itinerant preachers that were 
so busy, not because they had another gig to get to, but simply because that they were in the will of God and that there was a season for revival to take place. And they weren't really called evangelists, but they, 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 they had a title that was given to them later on, and it was called a revivalist. A revivalist. Have you ever heard the term revivalist? We don't see many revivalists today in our time. We don't see, we see a lot of people that come and preach revivals and it seems like for three days or five days people get a little excited and they get a little bit more uh, Jesus-y, if you would. Is that even a word? No. But they seems like they get a little bit more Jesus-y for three days or a week and it seems like they're in love with Jesus and the they throw things away and they pick things back up and they run back to the Christian bookstore and buy a brand new Bible. Come on, somebody. To put with those other six Bibles that they've had the past six uh, past year. But anyway, it seems like when they get back and revived everything, they do it all over again. And, and so what we have is we have a series of meetings that has, uh, you could say, excited a, a, a some uh, endorphins that it would be in the mind at times. But what we need in America and what we need right here in Galena, Kansas and what we need in Oklahoma City is we need a true revival. We don't just need revival. We need a revival. We need something that is so significant that each and every day that you wake up, the first thing on your mind is praying through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Can you say amen? A real Pentecostal revival that when people at your job come to you and they say, I've had this pain in my neck or I've had this mole on my arm or I've had this limp and you just simply say without having to muster up anything in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, be made whole. And whether or not they go to your church or they, whether or not they even go to church, the blessed power of Jesus Christ comes into contact with that that he desires to come into contact with. And that's not just their ailment in their physical nature, but that's also the ailment in their spiritual nature. Are you still here tonight? God is looking for a church in our day, in our generation, in our era of Christendom that understands that we don't just need revival. We need a revival. We don't just need a revival of some slick-haired, shiny-shoe preacher that comes in and preaches everybody happy for an hour, but then everybody leaves the same way they came. I knew y'all would be quiet, but not this quiet. Amen. But God is looking for a generation that when we come into church and we have real church, something happens to us to the point where we're no longer just talking about Jesus, but we're revealing Him with our speech. We're revealing Him with our character. We're revealing Him with everything about us. We don't have to say a bunch of scriptures to reveal the Christ of God. Can you say amen? All we've got to do is live the life of another and that life is Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way. He said these words. He said I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ liveth in me and the life that I now live I live by the faith of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. That faith that he was expressing was not just the sense of, of seeing something because, or believing in something and then seeing it but the faith was is that he knew that Jesus was alive. If you believe he's alive tonight shout yes unto God. He is alive and he is well. There's nothing wrong with him. He's never 
fluctuated in deity. He's never fluctuated in divine uh, uh, position. He's never fluctuated in any manner. Jesus Christ is still, as we quoted this morning, Hebrews 13 and 8, the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did then, he'll do today. What he does today, he can do tomorrow. You don't have to look at this world anymore and get discouraged, disgruntled, and be dismantled in your faith. All you need to do is lift up your eyes and know what Jesus said. When you see these things coming to pass, look up because your redemption, draw it nigh. I feel my helper right now. I want you to understand there's no reason for the body of Christ in this country not to have the greatest awakening that's ever been known even, even, even after Azusa Street. I know Charles Parham. I've been to the church. I don't know him because he's gone now. But I know that we look at him as being a, a father of Pentecost. But I want you to know we need some fathers in Pentecost again. We need some mothers in Pentecost again. We need some folks that walk in the anointing so strong and so real that you just get up beside them and you feel something. You feel it so strong and so prevalent that you want to be like them. We ain't got too many people wanting to be like powerhouses in the spirit anymore. I don't want to be a man like somebody on television. If you, When I was young, we all wanted to be like Shambok. Come on, somebody say amen. You ain't got no problems. All you need is faith in God. And so we would scream at the top of our lungs, sounding like a man all the way up to a panther. Praise God. You know, we had that Shambok shout, if you would. And I remember everybody wanted to be like this preacher and be like that preacher. And I was thinking about this and talking to a friend of mine. And I said, brother, I said, I wished I had what you've got, this attribute of Christ that he had. I said, I wished I had it more. And, and he, I said, I wished I was like you. I'd love to be like you in Christ. And he said, oh, he said, you don't want to be like me. He said, what it is? He said, there's a desire for you to want to be like of Christ, what you see in me. You see, we grow together, not just in a numerical sense, but we grow together as we see the attributes and characteristics of Christ. And when we see that in our lives, we can all say, blessed be the name of the Lord, hallelujah, that he has risen from the dead. If you believe Jesus is alive again, shout yes. So we don't just need a revival, we need a revival. We don't just need a prophecy given to us or a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. Those things are wonderful. The nine gifts of the Spirit, their administration and operation are needed probably more today than ever. But they're needed, my friend, in the right perspective and in the right way. Because what's happened today is people have learned how to take charisma and personality and twist your mind with it and make you think it's the anointing and that is not right. Can you say amen? You see, God did not call us to have great personalities and charisma. What God called us to do, and it's not to be ecumenical, what God called us to do was to come out of this world and be separate. I know some people don't like that word, but you hear me tonight. We're only in this world. We're not of this world anymore. You hear me? In Romans chapter number 8 and verse 1 it says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk after the 
spirit and not after the flesh. Why? Why does it say there's no condemnation? I remember years ago when you go to the altar as a young Christian, first thing people would say, oh, we rebuke the spirit of condemnation. But you'd fallen that week. You'd done something wrong. Don't look at me like that. Amen. It wasn't the devil that was making you feel bad. It was the love of God. Hallelujah. That was dealing with your heart. And it was the condemnation of the law. Are y'all still here tonight? It wasn't the condemnation of the devil. It was the law being in action again. Why? Because you raised it up. Why? Because you went back under it. And when you fell and you got into sin and that law came back, it wasn't condemnation. It was conviction. Glory be to God. You hear me? And that's what's happened today. People, they say they're anointed, but nothing happens. Why? Because of sin. Is it all right if I just tell you that? Because of sin. Now we live in a time where it seems that, that people can live an immoral life and they and still be anointed. They can live a life that is a misrepresentation of Christ and still be anointed. Now listen, the Bible says that Elisha was fallen sick. It never tells us what kind of sickness he had, but it does say that he was fallen sick. The word fallen here, it indicates and it means to be rubbed or worn. It means to be weak. You see, Elisha was the predecessor of Elijah. Elisha received something when Elijah went up into uh, uh, in the whirlwind in the chariot of fire he received the mantle is that right is that is that about right is that what you remember he received that mantle and the first act of the divine agency that was in that mantle was to smite the waters of the river Jordan and he said where is the Lord God of Elijah and the Bible says that the waters split hither and thither and Elisha walked over Elisha was walking up in the power of that double portion anointing. And can I tell you that everybody, all of the people, the kings and, and all of the subjects and all of the people, the school of the prophets, leaned upon Elisha. They leaned upon Elisha. There was a time in our country when the government somewhat leaned upon the church. Leaned upon. In other words, there was a time when they did care what we thought. They did care. What, 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 or there, there, was a, there was an interest of, of what our, our concern was. There was an interest. Now we have in our country, we have more and more and more and more of a mixture of the gospel and a mixture of philosophy to the point now that all you have to do is be an intellectual and you can have the best of both worlds. You can have the world and you can have the kingdom. I got good news for somebody in here. You can be as country as I am. That's cornbread. Amen. And you can still be part of the kingdom of God. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be poor. You don't have to be sick. You don't have to have any kind of malady, disease, whether it be socially, physically, mentally, or spiritually. All you got to do is be a whosoever. How many glad today that you were a whosoever? And now you're not a whosoever. Now you're a whose I am. Can you shout hallelujah? Who are you? I'm a child of the living God of Abraham, Isaac, and 
and Jacob. I have received inside of me, amen, the very nature of Christ. His righteousness is now mine. I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I want you to know tonight, we need to revive something in the church. We need to revive the virtue of the true anointing so that when people come, there are things that are done in a way that everybody knows that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. Amen. You see, the king, he came down because why? He was concerned. Joash came down because he heard Elisha was sick. Now, Elisha, Elisha was more important than what people put an emphasis on here. Elisha, this whole segment, this whole, this whole, uh, you could say, this whole scene that's taking place is very important uh, to the very existence of God's people. See, he was tired. The man of God was just tired. His sickness, it doesn't say what it was, but the word fallen literally means he was worn out. Tired. Have you ever been really tired? I'm not talking about tired of somebody. Just really tired. Tired. To the point where you were exhausted. The only way your eyes were staying open, you don't even know. Amen. You ever been so tired that your eyes are blurry? You ever been so tired that soon as you soon as you hit the hit the hit the bed or the pillow, you're out like that, you wake up and you're upset because you woke up? You ever been so tired that that you you can't even get your words out right? You ever been that tired? Exhausted to the point. People that fast know what I'm talking about. You ever fasted to the point to where the first thing that happened in the first day or day and a half or two days was your stomach started hurting. And then your head started hurting. And someone tried to tell me years ago, I can't fast because my stomach and my head hurts. I said, it's working. It's working. The fast is working. What do you mean? You ever seen a heroin addict? You ever seen a meth addict? You're looking at a redeemed one right here. You ever seen a meth cook? You're looking at a redeemed one right here. You ever seen you ever seen anybody addicted to something? Now I'm talking about really addicted. I'm not talking about some what they used to say, or they used to tell me, oh, I I'm a social drinker. I'm a I'm a social uh drug user. Social? No. No, you're a drug addict. You're an alcoholic. You need number one to be saved. Come on, help me somebody. Number two, you can be delivered. Amen. Well, I got three that believe it. And then you can be baptized in the Holy Ghost and with fire. And can I tell you, you can live in a definite yet progressive sanctification every day. Somebody shout hallelujah. You can live free of the addictions. You say, preacher, I've got to have this to go to sleep. A friend of mine called me to come and preach for him. And the Lord had given me a message. And the message was about pharmaceutical drug addiction in the church. I'm going to get in trouble. I already feel it. But it's pharmaceutical drug addiction in the church why so many in Pentecostal circles have to have something to cope with life and he said I need you to come I got so many people that are high in my church and talking in tongues at the same time y'all getting mad but anyway and I said oh Lord here we go and God had put it in my heart to come and preach about it my message was this pastor it was Dr. Feel Good goes back to church <laughs> well glory I knew you might not like that but it's a fact we've got 
so many people, amen, that are numb. Still, they look like they're holiness. Well, they look like they're this, but they're numb on pharmaceutical drugs. We got too many people who don't know how to pray back through to the Holy Ghost and get an anointing. The anointing will destroy the yoke. It will loosen the fetter, and it will still set the captive free. No matter your bondage, no matter what's going on, I'm telling you, Jesus is just as real today as he was the day I went to the altar. He saved me and delivered me, and I haven't had anything since. Amen. I tell people sometimes when people get saved in our meetings, I say they got saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost. They look at me and they say, what? Saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost? You mean the same night? See, we're worn out with this stuff. The church, they think, is worn out. We're too, the church is too old now, or it's too new now to have a revival of the virtue of the anointing. No. We don't just need a revival of the people, Pastor Orlando. We need a revival of the anointing and its virtue. You say, how can you revive the anointing? You can't revive the anointing, but there has to be a place for the anointing to rest upon and reside within. Amen. And the virtue can only come if the temple is clean. Now, here's the, the prophet Elisha. I'm, I'm really proud of myself. I'm being very reserved tonight. Because the, prophet of, the prophet Elisha was worn out. You know why? Because for if we read this right in the, chron, in the right chronological order, we can see that Elisha had been the prophet now for 65 years. 65 years. King Joash came down to him when he heard that he was sick. And the Bible says that he wept over his face and said these words, Oh, my father, my father, he said, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. When King Joash came down to and, and, and spoke that over Elisha as he wept over him, automatically, Elijah, I can see this, Elijah hears the same words that he spoke to Elijah before Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind in a chariot of fire. Now, why was these things said about these great men? The king heard of the mortal sickness of the prophet and fear gripped his heart. This is number one. Why Joash came down to where he was is because his heart was filled with, filled with fear. Elisha, this was supposed to have taken place, as I said, in the tenth year of Joash. And if so, then Elisha must have been around 65 years in ministry as far as being a prophet to the people of God for 65 years. In other words, church, he was rubbed on. For 65 years, he was rubbed up. You know what anointing means? I love it when people, you know, it, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get in so much trouble. I always just get in so much trouble. No matter what country I'm in, city or where, I just get in trouble. But it makes for people not forgetting about me. They pray for me. Sometimes they pray condescending. Oh, God, please give him, give him a delivery, Lord. Give him something, God. Um, but we take the oil still, and what we do is we put our index finger on it. Come on now. And then we'll take people and we'll brand them. And then we'll pray for them. We just put a cross on your head. Woo! Feel more saved now, don't you? Yeah. Oh, I'm a firm believer in this is all. I'm a firm believer in the scripture that we are to call for the elders of the church and if there be any sick among us to anoint them with oil. But I don't have really faith in the oil person. I really don't. My faith is in the person, amen, 
who is like the oil, hallelujah, because when he comes in, he comes in not to just rub on you like pledge on your dining room table, but he comes to saturate the very pores of your life that are dry from what he wants to put in you. You must understand something. When the virtue of the anointing is revived, people aren't just going to get a wipe down of revival, and that's what happens. We get a wipe down three days, five nights, whatever. Amen. We get a little wiped down. Now they're calling Sunday morning and Sunday night revival. I don't know, but anyway, they, they, they just rub it down like you would with pledge. But when you finally get under the spout, like the early church said, where the glory comes out, He ain't just going to touch you. He's going to saturate you. Everything that's going on in your life is going to be dealt with in a divine way, in the divine will, and under the divine plan and providence of God. King was very concerned that Elisha was sick and going to die. Fear gripped his heart. Elisha was very important and so he cried, Oh my father, my father, what shall I do? Is what he was saying. What shall I do? You're dying. You're dying. You're the only, what he was saying is, this is really what he was saying. This is what is translated the phrase. You're the only defense of Israel. But not just defense, but you're the only true defense of Israel. Why? Because Joash was the king, but Joash wasn't right. So no matter his military strength, no matter how strategic he was in his mind, no matter his economic plan, no matter what infrastructure he thought he had put together over his years of his reign in the kingdom, he was scared to death because he knew that Elisha inside of him was the true defense of all of Israel. Did you know today I still believe this might sound cliche, it's maybe a little bit propagandic, but I still feel like saying it tonight. We are the only thing that is keeping this country from being overrun with every terrorist organization in this world today. The church is still the only entity and institution that is left on this planet, especially in this country, that is keeping every terrorist organization from rising up on the four corners of this. I'm telling you, we're in the end times of the last days. We're not just in the last days. We're in the last days of the last days. Our Lord and Savior and Canaan King is about to split the heavens. And when He does, He's coming back. I said it this morning. With a shout of the archangel, it ain't going to be Gabriel or Michael that's screaming. It's going to be Jesus himself that's going to give that shout. And when he gives that shout and Gabriel blows that trumpet, the dead in Christ are going to rise. Can I tell you, if you've been around the real anointing anytime, you know that he's here right now. And if you need your touch, you can get it right now. You know beyond the shadow of a doubt that his virtue is being revived. All you've got to do is believe that He is and that He is a rewarder to them that diligently seek Him. You might not stand up and seek Him, but we're seeking Him in our heart more and more every day because we can see that this world is in trouble. We can see it. And we can see that the church is in a place, uh, 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 it's in a, it's in a, a, a paradox. and it's in, it's, I mean, it's in a place where it's at a crossroads now where the Pentecostal the Pentecostal flavor, persuasion, experience, 
all these names are attached to our Pentecost. I am a Pentecostal. I don't know if y'all know that or not. And I Pentecostal Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then I do it all over again on Monday. All day long. While I'm sleeping. Someone starts talking to me about the Holy Ghost. We got to talk about the Holy Ghost. Someone starts talking about Jesus and his baptism. I got to go to John's baptism first. Come on, somebody. Amen. The Bible says that John told him, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. He said, oh, but there's one coming after me whose shoes I'm not unworthy. He said, not worthy to lace or to unloose. He said, and when he comes, he shall come and he shall baptize you in the Holy Ghost and with fire. He said, his fan is in his hand. Woo, hallelujah. Can I tell you tonight, that same baptizer is in this place for somebody. He didn't just come by and he didn't just send me here to deposit a little word in you he sent me here to let you know that there's about to be a revival in the church today and it's going to be not some little weekly thing it's going to be a virtue of the anointing where people come in I don't care where they come from what they've been in who's done what to them or what they've done to somebody else there's still a Christ that saves there's still a Christ that heals and delivers and all they got to do is come in contact with his real anointing. This king, he was so concerned. Got some things to say. That's why I had to slow down. This expression was of deep sorrow. But it, why? Because it wasn't. It was not from the personal respect he had for the prophet, but it was for the enormous debt and loss of defense and the incalculable loss his death would now bring to. In other words, there was going to be a deficit that money couldn't fix. Brother Yates, there's a deficit that money cannot fix. No matter the megachurch, we have small churches today with megachurch mentality. Come on. We have small churches with megachurch mentality. And the megachurch mentality, as we were talking today, and I've said this for years now, megachurches are, are 2,000 people, I think it's, it, that's what it is, 2,000 people. And I, I, I preach in a few mega churches, and guess what? They're just like the little churches that I preach in country roads all over Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, and, and wherever I go. They're the same kind of churches. They got people there that are there to worship God. Then they have people there that are there to be seen worshiping God. And then you got people there that are there to be worshiped. And please don't get me started on that. But anyway, you, you, it doesn't matter. Mega church, small church, community church, 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 all these titles and names. And so it seems that the larger our churches are, and the more it seems that they are streamlined, look at y'all get quiet on me, we streamlined our churches now to where everything is so casual, I'm going to get in trouble, that there's no formality now when it comes to the real power and the anointing of God. Amen. Some people have asked me before, why do you wear a tie? I was in a service with Rod Parsley uh, just not too long ago at, at, at Pathway of Life. I didn't know that, he, that they were going to have Daystar, you know Daystar, Daystar was there and they did it live it was the night before Rod Parsley's latest book was released and so we're sitting there I didn't wear a tie I didn't wear a tie 
Oh, my, my, my two pastor friends, we sit, we sit on the second pew. Pastor Danny Wegman's on the front. Pastor Rod Parsley and, and uh, his entourage was there uh, on the side. And I sit right behind Pastor Rod Parsley. And I'm sitting there and the lights come on and the, and, and, and the, and the camera, the camera lights are bright. Oh, they're so bright. And they're right there. And I'm sweating. I'm telling you, I'm sweating. I'm not even preaching. Actually, I am. Because everything he's saying, I'm standing up and shouting. Praise God. But anyway, so so uh, Pastor Parsley's preaching, and he said, and some of you are wondering why I didn't wear a tie. Or no, wondering why I'm wearing a tie. And he said, because I won't do. And I'm sitting there telling my friends, oh, I didn't wear a tie. I didn't wear a tie. They said, holiday, calm down. Pastor, you need to calm down. It's okay. Relax. Amen. Listen, the reason I'm saying this tonight is because it doesn't matter your preference of worship. It doesn't matter your preference of preaching, the style that you like. It doesn't matter your preference of, of anything in the church. What matters is if it's been endorsed by God, it will be anointed by His Spirit. And somebody somewhere is going to see Jesus. And then we went in the green, we went in the in the room after he preached. Now we were invited by Pastor uh, Wigman to go into the room, and we got to talk with Pastor Parsley some, and and it, it was a great time. And he's a very big fella, and in in uh, he he you wouldn't even think that to, you know he he really exerted himself. But when you when you came and you talked to him, he had to change his clothes because he had preached so hard. He had preached so hard. The, what are you talking about, preacher? I'm telling you, there's a generation that's been anointed and they've been rubbed on, Pastor, for a long time now. Been rubbed on on a society that seemingly doesn't respect the defense that they have in them for the church. The Scripture declares that we're to contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. We look at the defense things that, that are going on, the defense programs, and we hear about all of these platforms to revive the military or, or, to, or reduce it down or whatever because people are concerned about the welfare of this country. If we were more concerned, ma'am, about the welfare of the church and the anointing in it, I'm telling you right now, this country right here would still have something that the devil would have to contend with. And when the church rises up and declares to itself and tries to get itself to believe again that we still are the light of the world. We might only be 150 or 500 or 300, but we are still the light of this world. We're still a city that is set up on a hill and no man can hide us. No man will be able to keep us in obscurity any longer. Why? Because the day is coming. And it's coming very soon. When he will, my friend, break the yoke off of the shoulder. Hallelujah. And the anointing will destroy that yoke. It's coming back. You might as well praise him tonight. There's a revival coming, all right. But it's the reviving of the virtue of God's holy anointing. Somebody shout hallelujah. We need his anointing. We need his presence and we need his power to manifest as he sees fit. Somebody give him glory tonight. We've got to see a revival. We've got to see a revival. The timid, the, the, the timidity, the timidity of the Pentecostal ranks today is overwhelming. When it comes to the when it comes to the seeker friendly. So you're gonna be in trouble. 
the seeker-friendly. Those that when you come in to worship, we do everything we can to appeal. Come on. It's an appeal. It's commercializing. It's making sure that we have everything that you like, and if we ain't got it, you'll get it next week. Come on. You want the rock concert look and atmosphere? We'll make sure it's here next week. We will have your fog machines. Come on, somebody. We'll create the Shekinah image if we can't bring it. So what's happened is, is we've learned how to use something. We've, we've learned that, that, that we can create things with the mind. And so in that uh, uh, an atmosphere, I've heard people say, we've got to create an atmosphere of worship. It was created at me at the cross. It was Did you hear what I said? That atmosphere of worship was created in me at the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I've got an atmosphere of worship in here that is 24-7. Glory be to God. I don't need some preacher shouting me down or hollering at me and telling me how to live. Amen. Or trying to get me to say amen for me to worship God. I love it, brother. I can wake up in the morning and I can start dancing and giving God glory no matter what's going on in my life. I can praise him anyway. Why? Because I know he's alive in me. Hey, glory be to God. I don't have to have worship per se. I think it might be because I've been in some, some very obscure areas where they've taken a log and a stick and 400 of them have worship. They sang songs like Ni Wei Wei, Ni Wei Wei Wamba, Ni Wei Wei, Ni Wei Wei Wamba, Ni Wei Wei, Wei Wei Wamba. What are they saying? The African dialect is Swahili, and it's simply praise Jesus, praise Jesus. They're just praising, saying three or four words with a stick and log in the middle of nowhere, brother. And the harmony is so powerful and so anointed. All you can do is just tears just stream down your cheek. You're just wet. Just bawling. Stammering lips. Praying in the Holy Ghost. You get up to preach. You've got three interpreters. Three interpreters. Not just one. I've preached with three interpreters in one place. You have to wait for one interpreter to interpret. you got to wait for the other one. Then you got to wait for the other one. You're up there like this. And I'm like this. You know, just but the true anointing will administer in the right proportion. That's the point I'm trying to make, the genuinity of it. See, the king was so concerned because he knew that if Elisha died, he knew that the defense of Israel would be gone. He was so scared. His expression was of deep sorrow, not because he had a personal respect, but because he knew that it would bring such a deficit to the kingdom. His death would now bring to the king. He said, my father, my father. And this was a phrase given to those who were thought of as an eminent guard and deliverer of his country. You were called a father if you were someone that had a, a, a sacrificial heart or someone that had a protectiveness about you. You know what I told my daughter before she got married? And my son-in-law, he's pretty good size. And uh, I, I always told my daughter, I said, you can't marry anybody unless I hear him talk in tongues. You can't marry anybody unless I hear him talk in tongues. Amen. Well, my son-in-law is still seeking for the baptism. 
I was, I was pretty young when I was saying all that, so I didn't realize that it wasn't up to me whether they had the Holy Ghost or not. Come on, somebody. But he seeks the Holy Ghost. It's not like he's going to our Pentecostal church and he's sitting there. Well, I'm preaching tonight. It's not like he's just sitting there and saying, well, I like it, but I'm, you know, I don't, I don't speak in tongues. I don't speak in tongues. Someone said, do I have to speak in tongues? When I, if I get filled, do I have to speak in tongues? I said, no. Guess what? You don't have to. You get to. Can y'all shout amen? You don't have to. You get to. It's not a grievous thing. Can you say amen? They cast the, 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 the man, the king comes to Elisha and he cries out because he's concerned about the defense of his country. Many people in our, in our churches today are concerned about everything that's going on. The king, before this, he looks at the prophet and he says to the prophet, what are we going to do? And the prophet looks at him and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the east window and I want you to open it up. So the king walks over to the east window and he opens the window up. And when he opens the window up, he says, now take your bow and your arrows. So he took his bow and his arrows. And when he did, he put his hand upon his hand. Now why did he do that? Because what he was doing is he was being symbolic. And he was trying to portray a message, a prophetic message to the, to the king. And he was saying, listen, he said, God is going to be with you even if I'm not. Hallelujah. God is going to be with you even if I'm not. Why? He was saying, the Spirit of the Lord is going to be here even if I'm not. Even if you can't see me. It was very prophetic. And, and, and he said, now I want you to shoot the arrow out of the window. Now the reason he wanted to shoot out the window is because what they would do is when someone would invade another country is they would actually shoot their arrow into their borders. And what that was saying is that was saying we're coming and we're coming with our armament. We're coming with our military and we're coming to invade you. Here is your warning shot. I wish tonight that the church could give the devil a warning shot. I, I pray that we'll rise up again and we'll let him know well, you better get ready, more ready than you've ever been because when we get to the place where the virtue of the anointing has been revived we are coming in and we are going to cast out devils we're going to prophesy we're going to do many great works and it's going to be all in the name of Jesus Jesus said that in that day many will come in contrast and he said they'll cry Lord Lord did we not cast out devils in your name did we not prophesy did we do not do many great works in your name and he said depart from me you worker of iniquity for I never knew you all the ones that are going to make it are those that do the will of the Father. What's the will of the Father? The will of the Father is to express his, his, his desire for reconciliation through the character of His Son. Jesus Christ must be seen again as the head of the church. He must be seen as the life of the church. He must be seen as He was when He was on the earth as He is now. I don't know about you, but I believe with all of my heart that He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for me today interceding for you today his work isn't done can you shout amen his work was done at Calvary for your redemption but he's still working can you say hallelujah he's still abiding he's still moving he's still getting a people ready for his coming oh you hear me tonight I really believe that when Elisha put his hands on the hand of the king there was a virtue that came into him and he got real excited he pulled that bow back 
back probably bigger or longer than he'd ever pulled it before and when he let go that arrow flew out of that window oh he got so excited we're in revival now hallelujah we had so many people at the church the other night we had them in the altars people were falling on the floor rolling around like a fish out of its out of its bowl praise God I mean what a revival we're having but then he said this he said I want you now to smite the ground some people use it because they don't study it they'll use it and say they took he took the arrows and hit the ground no he didn't you know what he was saying he was saying now you start shooting the ground and he was trying to say here's what I want you to do I want you to shoot the ground why was he shooting the ground because he was saying we're not only going to take one victory we're going to take another and we're going to take another and we're going to take another and the Bible said that he did it three times the man of God was wroth he was mad you know why he was mad because he felt something he felt something him being mad did not bring a judgment upon uh, uh, the king. Just because the king stopped shooting the ground didn't mean if the king would have shot it five or six times that he would have got five or six victories. Woo! But Elisha felt something coming from him. Oh, once you're in the flow, don't get out of it. Can you say amen? And I can tell you, friend, that there is. Listen to me. Paul even said that everything to be done in decency and order. But it's so taken out of context. And the refinery, the refinery mills today that call themselves churches that don't allow the Spirit of God to move. Oh, amen. I don't know about anybody else, but I want the Spirit of the living God to move. And He can move in perspective. He can move in proportion. Amen. Where it isn't something that is crazy. Where it ain't something that is wildfire. What do you mean, preacher? I'm telling you, we don't need gold dust falling down from the ceiling. We don't need to see any angel feathers. We don't need any of this kooky stuff. What we need is we need a revival of the genuine, authentic anointing of the Holy Ghost that brings people to the cross of Calvary and makes them cry out, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I'm no longer going to live a sinner, but I'm going to live as a righteous one. If you believe it still can happen, shout yes. And I know this is one of those churches. I know by the character of your pastor. I know by his spirit. This is one of those churches that guards the gospel with everything. Say, so why should we have to guard the gospel? Because I believe we are the generation that's the last defense of the gospel. I believe. I believe we are that generation of Jacob. I believe that we are that generation. Some people call, say that we're a prophetic generation. I said, yes. But what God is doing is He's taking a pathetic religious, uh, He's taking a prophetic generation out of a pathetic and religious situation. Amen. A religious situation. Simply meaning we've been policed by the religious politics for so long. Well, I'm getting in big trouble. We've been policed by the religious politics for so long now. Everything is so dignified. Amen. It's so dignified. I can tell you I'm not very dignified. Hallelujah. But I really believe what we need in the church today is we don't need strange fire. We need holy fire. Can you shout amen? We don't need, amen, a baptism of water just with a water slide. What we 
we need is we need a baptism of fire again in the church. Such a baptism that when you leave, your mascara is running down your face. Amen. If you're wearing boots, you got one kicked off. In our revivals, they're putting each other on their shoulders and walking out because they're drunk in the Holy Ghost. And when they come back to revival, they laid something down. I've had them just the other night jumping on cigarettes, just jumping on them and dancing on them. People bringing up narcotics. Hallelujah. What are you saying, preacher? I'm telling you when the anointing comes, Pastor Orlando, everything, every chain, every bondage, every yoke can be destroyed and broken off. If you still believe it, shout yes unto God. Well, hallelujah. So Elisha dies. The arrows are shot. The king is concerned. Oh, you know the situation. The Bible says that King Hazel of Syria oppressed Israel. He oppressed Israel. Oh, he oppressed them so much. He oppressed them so much that, that they didn't even want to fight anymore. There has been an oppression now that's been too long. We've had it too long in the church. An oppression. You know where our church sits? It sits right behind Motel 6. Somebody shout hallelujah. Do you know anything about the southeast side of Oklahoma City at Motel 6? Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's really not the place where uh, you want to walk at night, for one. Uh, it's not the place that you want to count your money at daytime. Or it's not the place that you want to hang out all the time. It's the place that I used to hang out when I used to live uh, as a sinner. And I was really, really good at it. And uh, so I know a little bit about it. But our church is right smack dab in the middle and right in, I mean, right in the middle of a, a mobile home park. Come on, somebody. A mobile home. When we go to church, guess what? We can have at least 15 friends before we walk through the door. It's people standing on the corner that is blessing us, saying, God bless you. Anything will help. Amen. When you go to our church, when you go to our church, you, I, used, I usually have to get the dogs out of the way so I can walk into the front door. Right in Oklahoma City. 4300 South Prospect Avenue. Some people in our church, and I love every one of them, some people in our church, were, when, when the property was bought, they, they, they thought, oh my goodness, why are we moving over here? Why, why are we moving over here? Well, I'm not going to go into all that, but anyway, some of them were saying, oh, this is a rough part of town. And so, for a while, we had revival. Oh, we were having great services because we moved into our new building. Oh, we'll have a revival now. But then it got to where God was saying, what are you going to do with what I give you? What are you going to do with what I give you? We had no youth. We had no kids coming. We had nothing. Nothing was really going on. And finally, 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 what we did is we realized where we were. Right where God Right where God Right in a place where, where, where people moved to get out of there. They got out of there. And then we took it up for them. We took it up. And, and so what started happening was, is we started, listen to this crazy thing right here. We started ministering to the people of the neighborhood where our church was. I know it's crazy, but that's what we started doing. And so now I think our, 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 our number has been up to 26 in the youth, which is almost half of our 
church. Our church is only 70 people probably, at the most, 75. 76 people. I preach in churches that are three times bigger than that. Preach all over the world. Everybody wants to hear a preacher, Pastor, and you know that. Everybody wants to hear a fiery preacher. I've really been reserved. I'm so proud of myself. I might be a theologian one day. I'm telling you, I have been so reserved for y'all. But I, 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 looked, I looked at that and I said, Lord, I said, what are we doing? And then we talked and we, we said, listen, we don't just want a youth group. We don't just want a youth group. We want to win souls. We want to win souls. How do you win souls? Well, you preach the gospel, Brother Holiday. You have something coming out inside of us. Now, this great man of God, Elisha, he's died. He's been placed in a, in a, in a sepulcher with a rock. Great honorary place. People revered him. They mourned for days after his passing. But now the rock is there. The man of God is lying there. The flesh and the snoog have wasted away from his bones. There he is. It's just him. I mean, it's just his bones and a memory of who was in there. And then it comes the end of the beginning of the year that they come to, the enemy comes to invade. And when they come to invade, it just it, it just so happens that there was uh, some of the military men that were seeing the invasion take place, and 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 they were having a funeral possession for one of their friends. And what had happened was, as they saw this, and when they saw this invasion, they became so intimidated and feared, full of fear, that the Bible says these words. That what they did is they 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 let him down. They threw him in that cave where Elisha's bones. And when they threw him in that cave, now mind you, I truly believe in my heart that the Bible doesn't tell us this, that Bible historians don't really uh, say much about this, but I believe in my heart that they knew whose bones were in there. I don't believe they just threw him in there because uh, it was a it was a safe place or or it was uh, good enough. I believe they they knew that that place was used for a, a, a burial at one time for another honorable man. And the Bible said that the man, his body, his hand, his his fingers, they touched the very bones of Elisha, and he revived. Hallelujah. And the reason he revived was because the double portion of the anointing had not been fulfilled in his life yet. If you number all of the miracles, you'll find out that there was one missing after his death. Good God Almighty, can I tell you that God never does anything, amen, halfway, three-fourths. He always does it 100%. Can I tell you when that man's body touched the bones of Elisha, he stood up on his feet and he was revived. And when he stood up, he looked around and he knew exactly who that was that he had touched. He didn't look around and start dancing and start getting spiritual. He got up and there was something on the end side of him that told him I've got to tell everybody that God has not forsaken us he's still with us he's still with us hallelujah even though it seems like what is all symbolic of God being with us is gone he's still with us he's proving himself time and time again 
again. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you even unto the end of the world. He is our hiding place. He is our rock. He is our fortress. We have found that secret place of the Most High. There is no spirit of fear that's going to stop us from seeing a revival of the anointing of God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, when the man was revived, he got up, he ran. According to the scripture, he caught up with those that had left him there. My goodness. And when he caught up, they fell on their face. They could not believe. They knew he was dead. But now he's alive. So what's the first thing they did? They took him to the king. When they took him to the king, the king then had a revival in his own heart. The king then had a revival in his own heart. And he knew. Then he put his faith and his trust back into God. And when he did, then they rose up and they got their picture. They got their picture. We need a victory today in the church. We need a victory today in the church. We've been in the battle long enough. Now we need a victory. Hallelujah. We need a victory in the church. And when we rise up as the word of God declares and understand that truly greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world, we will stand up a revived generation. We'll stand up a holy nation, a peculiar people, and we will show forth the praises of our God. Hallelujah. 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 The book of Acts chapter 19, the great apostle Paul. The Bible teaches us that he had preached, he had ministered in under, I say under, such an anointing. He had such a portion of grace given to him of the revelation of Jesus Christ. That it could not be spoken unless he was an anointed vessel. That it's very possible that his his body was wrenched with perspiration. It's a big fancy word for sweat. I've preached in places before in India and other places where where you you, you don't just yeah all your clothes are wet. That's old school Pentecostal preaching, but I'm talking about you were. You were you were so emaciated. You had no strength. You just because there there was just seemingly no air. But the Bible says that they took from the apostle handkerchiefs and aprons. They didn't sell them. They didn't cut them up and sell them for a hundred dollars. They didn't say, "If you send me this, I'll send you this." All I want is to get your mailing address. But we all know that's not the truth. It's the point of contact. It's the personableness of it that snares us and makes us believe, oh, they love us. They know us. I love Tommy Bates, Pastor Tommy Bates. Anybody know who Pastor Tommy Bates is? Pastor Tommy Bates was at um, uh, Lighthouse in Eufaula, Pastor John Parrish. Your pastor's been with us in convention. 
But my son and my wife and a few and his significant other was there. We were there, and uh, Mr. Tommy Bates was there, and and all the while Pastor was preaching, he was looking straight at my, my son and all, and he just all the time was just preaching to us. We were the first, I was the first one that he called out, and he gave me a word. It was a significant word. It was a powerful word. My point to this is, is that I've had these men, these great men of God, to lay hands on me, partially. Uh, Tim Bagwell, great men of God, men that are truly anointed in their integrity of the Spirit, it just oozes out of them. They're very stately men. They keep themselves in a mannerism that, that is godly. Is that all right? It's all right to have confidence in godly people again. Come on. We don't always have to, you know, someone was telling me, well, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a little carnal like every other Christian. Well, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. There are two things, there are two perspectives of carnality. One of them is in a bad way, which is you, you, you just give over to that old nature all the time and do what it wants to do in and, and every way. And then the, uh, this Bible right here is a carnal thing because it's a natural thing. The Bible itself. But when I eat this word in a spiritual way, then it makes me no longer carnal, but makes me spiritual. Hallelujah. There is no such thing as a carnal Christian. I hear that all the time. In my, in my view, there is no such thing. Christianity is given to us, and the word Christian is given to us because they were first called Christians where? In Antioch. Why? Because they look like Christ, they act like Christ. Everything about them was Christ-like. I love the name of your church, Christ Point. Hallelujah. It's all about Jesus here, and I believe that is why that we've made the connection. It's because God is putting a network together, not of people that want big churches, but a network of people together, and we are the body of Christ. Can you say amen? We are the body of Christ. And this is where the virtue of anointing is going to come from in these last times. All of this stuff that ain't real, you're about to see a cease and halt and a stop to it. And God is about to raise up, you hear me? If I be a servant of God, this be true. This is going to happen just like he said it would. He said, and I will restore unto you the year that the caker worm, the palmer worm, and the locust hath devoured hallelujah it's about to happen he allowed those insects to come and to take the harvest away from Israel but he said I'm going to restore it to you I'm going to give it back to you he said and after it comes he said I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh hallelujah to God he's going to do it just like he said he would And stood upon his feet and had some of them when they came to him they had them in disarray Paul when they took those handkerchiefs and aprons from his body brought them to him the sick the, the Bible says that the disease the disease departed from them it even says an evil spirits went out we're in a generation today that doesn't believe in demonic possession no, this is a little technical, but there still is demons. Possession that they take is upon those who willfully, wholeheartedly give in to the influence of demonic activity. 
I've seen witch doctors delivered and set free and saved. I've had Beja and Maria. I don't know if it's Beja Maria, which means a legion of Maria's, a thousand Maria's. I've had them come to my little um, crusades in the middle of nowhere and bring idols, bring a bag of idols, like a hundred idols made out of pot milk. Bring these idols and try to cast spells on me while I'm preaching. I'm, I'm so dumb, I didn't know. So don't preach it. I get through preaching, they're one of the first ones in the in the prayer line, and their prayer lines, they come up and they're just on the ground. You know, they're just kneeling down. She's the first one I prayed for. When I did, her eyes roll back in her head, and she heard oh, all of this. And I could feel and I could discern the power of demonic uh, possession. And so I prayed for her, nothing happened. Everybody else was saved, baptized, the Holy Ghost, did the signs and wonders, things of that nature. And to confirm the preaching of God's word, the truth of it and its origin. And then after the service, I was talking to one of the pastors, one of our pastors, and I said, I said, uh, what, what was with this lady here? I know she's Lasian Maria. I can tell because of the, the garb that she has on the dark blue and stuff. And they said, absolutely. They said, she was sent by the priest of Lasian Maria to come and stop you from preaching. I said, well, praise God. I'm glad I wasn't preaching then because I, she probably would have stopped. Woo! It wasn't me preaching. Can you say amen? It wasn't me with the spirit of wisdom. It wasn't me with revelation. It was Christ in me, the hope of all glory. Can you say hallelujah? For all have sinned and come short of the glory. It's the same glory. Amen? It's the same glory that the writer said is in us. What is that glory? It's the image of Christ. It's the image of, of God's Son. And I, I, I said, well, I said, well, well, I didn't even know that. And the one uh, pastor said, yes, and she is my sister-in-law. Praise God. Your sister-in-law. Yes, she is bound by the devil. I said, amen. That's what we say too, back where I'm from. Just bound by the devil. But today, in our age and in our generation, it seems like people don't believe that there is a devil that can bind you. But there is. He can bind you, but Jesus can break those. He can loose those 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 bondages and, and break them off. They can go just like that, but there has to be an anointing for it to happen. It has to be real. And then there's another, there's another, another application of the deliverance, and that is people maintain and walk in the deliverance. And people say, I, I need to be delivered of this. Pray over them, the thing is broken in the spirit, but they leave and they go right back to it because they don't resist the temptation of their flesh. We need a revival. 